Welcome to Jacobin Radio. I'm Susie Weisman. On this episode, we look at organizing to win, ideas and projects coming from the Chicago People's Summit. Maria Svart, National Director of the Democratic Socialists of America, recently spoke at the People's Summit about why we're here. Her organizing mantra is to fight for reforms that empower working people and for an economy that works for all of us instead of a few. We'll get her take on the strategic issue of how to deal with the Democratic Party, its leadership, and their their hostility to pro-Sanders forces, and steps ahead to continue the fight to win. And Becky Bond joins the conversation. Becky is president of the Big Organizing Project, co-author of Rules for Revolutionaries, former senior advisor to Bernie 2016, and co-founder of the Knock Every Door campaign. We'll ask Becky about the organizing project she's working on, how to organize to win inside and outside the Democratic Party, and how to organize in the Trump era. Welcome to Jacobin Radio. I am Susie Weisman. I'm very pleased to have here for the first time Maria Spart. She is the National Director of the Democratic Socialists of America, otherwise known as DSA. And she recently spoke at the Chicago People's Summit about why we're here. Her organizing mantra is to fight for reforms that empower working people, to take control of what we produce, and for an economy that works for us all instead of the few. And I've invited her on to get her take on the strategic issue of how to deal with the Democratic Party, its leadership, their hostility to pro-Sanders forces, and the steps ahead to continue the fight to win. Maria Spart. Hello, thanks for having me. I'm really pleased to have you. And I should mention that you have an organizing background in the in the trade union movement. Mm-hmm. It seems like kind of perfect. And of course, we're at a cardinal moment, wouldn't you say? Maybe we could just start by you talking a little bit about what happened at this People's Summit. Sure. Yeah, we are in a moment in this country of both great danger and also great opportunity. And so bringing people together, there were 4,000 people at the People's Summit from all over the country. DSA had folks from 38 states that were there. We had about 200 members that came. And we joined these thousands of other activists from the grassroots that really represent the grassroots movement in this country that wants to stand up to the ruling class in a way that is very difficult in our formal political system, but they're ready for the challenge, and really build the relationships that it's going to take to weather the storm that we're in now. We have a rising right wing. We see that Trump is distracting attention from what he's doing to, for example, take health care for millions of Americans. And unfortunately, the Wall Street wing of the Democratic Party is extremely focused on something which is important which is Russian influence on the election, but they're completely incapable of understanding that that is not an issue to build a movement on in this country right now. When people can't feed their kids, they can't get health care, they can't pay the bills, those are the issues that people feel every day, and that's the basis upon which we need to build a movement. And as a union organizer, someone who was in the trade union movement for many years, I understand that the way to build alliances between people that come from different backgrounds is to find what our similarities are and to find similarities between us that are deeply rooted in um, our daily lives. And that's, that is that kind of issue, like healthcare. So to see 
the Democratic Party leadership focusing on this thing that is not exactly abstract, but is not deeply felt, when there are a number of cardinal issues around which they could organize, is extremely frustrating. And that's what brought people to Chicago, is the clear need to... um, Some people are there because they want to take back the Democratic Party. Some people were there because they want to build independent political power and use that inside or outside of the Democratic Party, depending on local conditions. But we're all there to build the infrastructure, and we're all there to talk about this vision, which is much larger and more positive than what we're being offered now to sort of like the alternative, like we're the alternative to Trump. We're better than Trump. Let um, me just. Our uh, vision is really that like actually we can have an entirely different world that works for all of us, not just the few. And I think that's something that resonates with a lot of people, including the many, many, many people who did not vote in this election. Some of whom were prevented from voting, but a lot of whom didn't vote because they'd given up hope on the entire process. Well, I wanted to ask you, and I'm really glad that you began, Maria, as far as by kind of bringing in the Russian question, let's call it, uh, as a distraction, because it really is. And I want to just dispense with that right now, because it's taking up all of the mainstream uh, media airwaves, and as you say, completely pushing to the side these significant questions that most people think about. Most people don't wake up in the morning and think about what Russia's is doing. And so... Let alone know who Comey is, right? Yeah, all right. And so, but this is really important, and I want to know, because you started it, and you are also the leader of an organization outside of the Democratic Party, but with historically a relationship to it. And you spoke about how at the Chicago People's Summit, there were various positions taken, including about how to deal with the Democratic Party and whether or not people should form a party outside or not. And I'd like maybe if you could just give us an overview of how that discussion went and where you stand there. Mm -hmm. So I think everybody... Well, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think the general sense at the People's Summit is that people are fed up. But given the present structure of the formal political system in the United States and the forces that we're up against, right now a lot of fights are inside the Democratic Party. And DSA definitely recognizes that. And we and others that were at the People's Summit also recognize that, number one, the party won't change without massive pressure. And also, it's necessary to have independent power to exert that pressure And we don't know what's going to happen in the future, so we need to maintain our independence. So, you know, at least from my perspective as a national director of DSA, we really, our perspective to formal politics is that we need to build independent power. We recognize that politics is different in all 50 states in the United States. There's no unified system as much as we try to simplify it and think about it in those terms and sort of essentialize what it means to do political work. Um, And there are definitely commonalities, but what we try to do is train our folks to map out what the practices and the rules are in their community and the array of forces and then act strategically within those, but always with a mind to building power that's independent. We want to build a multiracial working class movement that doesn't depend on the Democratic Party. And also we want to do this in a way that intervenes in elections, but is also bridging the gap between this other silo, which is social movements that don't intervene in elections. But one of the reasons that we are not as powerful as we could be, and by we I mean the broad progressive movement, including the left and people who don't consider themselves ideologically left but are progressive, uh, one of our problems is there there are divisions between folks that focus just on elections and then folks that just focus on 
pressure campaigns or uh, direct action or things that are outside of the electoral realm. So we want to bridge both inside and outside of the Democratic Party, but we also want to bridge inside and outside of formal politics in general. The work by community organizations in Arizona to kick out Sheriff Arpaio Mm -hmm. as an example of how you you need to do pressure work in between elections and register um, low-frequency voters and working-class voters and voters of color, and then on election day mobilize them but still maintain your independence. And that's sort of, in my mind, that's what the People's Summit was about. It was about taking back the Democratic Party from the consulting class and from the Wall Street class but also to be doing that through building independent power. Let me come Uh, in on that for just a second, Maria Spart, because you've just hit on sort of almost every one of the issues. And, (laughs) you know, given the nature of the system that we live in, it's very difficult. It's one thing to be organizing the way that you are, and successfully you should probably let our listeners note how DSA is literally mushroomed, exploded, but in membership and and Mm -hmm. support, it's becoming the sort of organization everyone joins to be together in one place and to confront the system that we are in, but also to recognize that this is a two-party system and they're not only not kind to third-party efforts, but to even insurgencies within, as we've seen with Bernie Sanders. You just put it very well. It's the Wall Streeters within the party. Most, if you do opinion polls around the country and ask people which party stands for Wall Street and with Wall Street, most people think it's the Democrats. And then you have, within the Democrats, Democratic Party, you have the Progressive Caucus, African American Caucus, virtually the whole of the trade union movement with important exceptions, and they all stood with Clinton against Sanders. Not all of them. There were exceptions, but they were small exceptions. So given that hostility that continues now post-election, can you talk just a little bit? How do you deal with that? Yeah, and I think there are a lot of factors for that. Certainly there are institutional relationships and financial relationships and historic relationships and personal relationships. But I think that it's important that we not discount the fear of folks in the face of Trump. And so at the beginning of this interview, I talked about how we're in a moment of great danger and great opportunity. Mm -hmm. The reason we're in a moment of great danger is you have this insurgent right wing, and unfortunately, a lot of folks inside the Beltway, including a lot of folks that are progressives and in progressive institutions and progressives in office, I think we're a little out of touch with the fact that we're in a populist moment. And Trump was sort of the consummate insider who rode this wave pretending he was an outsider and he would kick everyone out and drain the swamp. I think there's a psychological element to it where people can't admit I mean, there were mistakes. Bernie Sanders made mistakes. It's not that Bernie Sanders is perfect. Mm -hmm. But these folks also made mistakes, and they won't admit that they made mistakes. And it's like they're digging in their heels, and they they refuse to admit reality. And, you know, I was talking with someone earlier today, actually, about this, and she was talking about how people, they have to have, like, they have to use mental surgery (laughs) to prevent themselves from facing reality and facing the facts. And I think that that's part of what's going on. So it's it's sort of like they have to use this mental surgery so that their own direct interest in maintaining the system the way it is isn't, they don't have like a crisis, right? A personal crisis. I guess so, we should demand reverse lobotomies or something. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's really, it's at the point where we can no longer appeal to these folks to do the right thing. And it's not even just do the right thing, but do the smart thing. It's like we have to force them to do it and we have to go out and do the right things ourselves. Because I think it's really clear that 
they're not going to change their mind. Well, this is perfect, Maria Svart, and I am speaking to Maria Svart, and she's the National Director of the Democratic Socialists of America. And this is the point at which I want to hear from you what the outside game is. And you said it's up to us to pressure, obviously. But then if it's not possible to defeat, I don't know if you think it's possible to defeat that core of the Democratic Party that opposes the base and hates the base, or is it something that just has to be an entirely outside and is such pressure that they can't ignore it? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I keep referencing my initial thought that we're in a moment of danger and opportunity, and I keep forgetting that I'm not getting to the opportunity part. Yeah. We have an opportunity to potentially take back the party, and potentially that won't work, and we'll have to build something independent. Either way, we need a much larger and more organized base. So in DSA, we actually we would love to build a third party. We don't have the base yet. So we are really thinking of sort of base building our own organization and supporting organizing by other progressive organizations and our allies that were at the People's Summit as sort of the, the primary task in this moment. And DSA has been exploding. We've quadrupled in size since the election. Uh, we've, I think, more than quadrupled in the number of organized chapters. And our groups are heavily involved in a whole lot of issues. And what they're doing is what I talked about um, happened in Arizona around Arpaio, which is they're doing sort of community organizing pressure campaigns around daily direct material issues that people have, but with a socialist division and working on non-reformist reforms that will really empower working people, have people go through struggle and be in solidarity with people different from themselves and recognize that we have a mutual interest Mm-hmm. And that's what it's going to take. And I think there are parts of the country, and I wouldn't want to generalize for the entire country and say that this is the case, but there is general dissatisfaction with the Democratic Party across demographics. And there's also um, some places where organizing as Democratic Socialists is actually easier to engage people than as Democrats. Wow. So that is something to recognize, and I think it's one reason that DSA is growing so much is that people feel powerless under capitalism. We're pitted against each other. We're divided. We feel alienated. We feel like we have no voice and no dignity. And building a community of people where you can be under this big tent together, because DSA folks have a variety of opinions on on how exactly we should proceed, but we all agree that capitalism is a problem. We all agree that we need to work with people different from ourselves, and we all agree we need to build a grassroots base that has independent political power but strategic. That is very powerful, and that's why we're growing, and we understand the need to work in coalition with other folks. Let's talk about that for a second. But recognize we are in deep trouble. Right. Well, so I didn't ask you uh, at the very beginning what other forces and organizations were at the People's Summit. And really, I just want to get an idea for our listeners of the range of organizations that were there and support this effort that you're describing, because this also is a kind of a sea change for the left, that people now are working together and have a good relationship with the Sanders forces or overlap with them. Maybe you could just let our listeners know. Right. So just off the top of my head, the conveners or the National Nurses United are one of the main drivers of the People's Summit last year and this year, and they were huge. Our Revolution, Million Hoodies, People's Action, and they're just a whole variety of organizations. DSA is particularly close with People for Bernie and their constituent groups like Millennials for Bernie, and all of these groups are committed to a bottom-up 
grassroots-based vision for social change. So we don't have a technocratic vision where we just have the right ideas and all we have to do is like present them and enact them and people will be happy. We understand that you have to build power to win. And so we're interested in building the relationships that it will take to get past some of the divisions in the progressive movement and focus like a laser beam on organizing against the ruling class. And in DSA, we really feel that we can learn from our differences, but that we learn best and learn to support each other best when we're together in struggle. So, you know, these are the groups that we came together with. We had, there were tons of workshops and breakouts, really inspiring speakers, and, yeah, a ton of organizations. This is like the tip of the iceberg and just some of the convening organizations. And because I listened into uh, the live stream of you speaking there and you, you <laughs> referenced Jeremy Corbyn and what's happening in Britain, what we've seen there is that, like Sanders, the Jeremy Corbyn forces have joined the Labor Party, making it the largest party in Europe, and it continues to grow, and now it's a force to be reckoned with. And, and like the Democratic Party, the Parliamentary Labor Party tried to use a coup to oust him and were unsuccessful. So given that you began with the danger and the opportunity, part of that opportunity, I would think would be also, let's say, finding some way to hook up with these forces in other countries that are fighting for the same thing. Maybe that's too large of a question to ask you now, but how do you see this sort of larger fight? Oh, absolutely. Capitalism is global. And also the rise of Trumpism in the United States is part of a global phenomenon. There's a rising authoritarianism and nativism in Europe and also other countries throughout the globe. And we, our analysis as democratic socialists and as internationalists is taking that into account. We definitely are in communication with other parties, Podemos, and labor, for example. And we are very interested in building international relationships because we need to learn from each other. A lot of the things that are happening in the developed world now first happened in the developing world, and we didn't listen enough. Movements didn't listen enough. And now we're feeling the austerity. Same thing is happening with authoritarianism. So we need to build an international movement that's communicating with each other about strategies and tactics and also is building solidarity and action with each other. But ultimately, the United States at this moment is, we're in the belly of the beast. So we do focus a lot of our organizing on focusing on issues here in the U.S. because we are, you know, the greatest perpetrator of violence in the world. And we have a special responsibility to organize. But I think things like what happened in the U.K. are very inspiring to Americans. But... I was struck that I was the only one that mentioned what had happened the night before at the People's Summit, and I think it really shows that we need to do an even better job of helping people in the United States feel connected to these global movements because there are really inspiring examples. We're just about out of time, maybe 30 seconds, and I'd love to ask you finally, Maria Svart, are you optimistic about the moment and the possible impact that you have? (laughs) Ah, it's a mixed bag. I think it's dangerous times. I think we have to learn how to both fight the far right who are in ascendance, but we also, the only way we can do that is by focusing on solidarity and a democratic socialist vision. So I do have hope, for example, because of what happened in the UK, and I think that people in the United States, when Bernie showed that when you engage people, when you have actual conversations with people, we all have 
pretty similar interests. We want resilient communities where we can survive, not just survive, but thrive. And it's, it's up to us to organize, and that's why I'm optimistic. Thank you so much for taking the time today to speak with us, Maria Spart. She is the National Director of the Democratic Socialists of America. And we're talking about what came out of the Chicago People's Summit and what the fight is ahead. Maria Svart, thank you so much for joining us today on Jacobin Radio. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. And I'm Susie Weissman. Don't go away. Welcome to Jacobin Radio. I'm Susie Wiseman and very pleased to have Becky Bond with us. Becky was a senior advisor on the Bernie Sanders campaign and a former political director at Credo. She is a co-founder of a new initiative called Knock Every Door. And the book that she wrote that came out of the Bernie Sanders campaign with Zach Exley is now the organizing Bible for our age. And when I say that, I mean it. It's called Rules for Revolutionaries, How Big Organizing Can Change Everything. And Becky actually is involved now in very big organizing projects, and we want to talk about that. Let's just talk a little bit, first of all, because you were recently in Chicago at the People's Summit, and it seems to me that one of the things that came out of that summit was just precisely the question that you're most involved in is how do we organize given a Trump presidency and a huge insurgency, but a not very sympathetic Democratic Party. So maybe you could just start by telling our listeners what happened at the summit and what were the main developments and who was there? Yeah, it was an amazing gathering, the likes of which I haven't really seen in my career. Um, in Chicago, there were over 4,000 activists and organizers that came together in Chicago um, with some amazing leaders from our movement, from Nina Turner to Roseanne DeMauro of the Nurses Union to Van Jones to Naomi Klein. And then, of course, Bernie Sanders was the was the headliner of the event. But it really wasn't about, it wasn't so much about the political stars who were there. It was really about the rank and file, the people that are fighting things out in their community day by day, coming together to try and share strategies, talk about where they are in their communities and where they want to get to, and learn from each other and connect to each other in order to learn how to move our agenda forward. And so instead of being about a charismatic individual or about some kind of political celebrity, it was really about honing our political analysis of this moment, trying to understand what the issues are at stake, and then trying to organize people from the movement who care about issues and share a political analysis, how to get them involved in elections in an effective way. You said recently is elections have consequences. And I'm assuming that that's part of what it is, because we're now living in an era of a Trump presidency. And what was an insurging ascendancy of right-wing populism, maybe Trump will put an end to it. I don't know. Marine Le Pen didn't win in France. And uh, we've seen this wonderful surge in Britain with uh, Jeremy Corbyn. But maybe just, you know, give the lay of the land a little bit more for our listeners about the forces arrayed there and the kinds of issues that they think they face and we all face that are so crucial. It's this moment where you would expect after we, we've lost not just the White House, but we've lost the Senate and the House, and, and now we've lost over 1,100 positions up and down the ballot, Democrats have. Um, and so the Democratic Party is in a very dire place. But a lot of us who are watching the Democratic Party fairly closely, we're not actually seeing the party leadership 
start the process of actually doing things a different way. Right. So we're seeing a lot of the same people in control. We're seeing them, um, uh, basically, a lot of them are just trying to sit Donald Trump out. And uh, I've definitely heard from people in D.C. who believe that um, Donald Trump is going to self-destruct, and it's the Democrats' job to sort of hasten that. Then, so that they can then get back to business as usual. And what was different about the people that were gathered in Chicago is the people in Chicago feel like, you know, we actually really need to deal with the excesses of financialized capitalism and structural racism. And I'll give you one example. There's been a lot of attention to the special election that's happening on uh, June 20th in Georgia, mm-hmm. where John Ossoff is squaring off in, in a Republican district uh, against Karen Handel, and, and he's come close in the polls. And he said in a debate last week, and he said he's not for Medicare for All, and in fact he said we need a lot less ideology around the health care debate. And if you really think about what he's saying there, and this is a standard bearer for the Democratic Party going forward. This is He's been backed by $30 million in donations. It's going to be the most expensive house race ever. And when you think about what he said, we need a lot less ideology around health care. You know, there already is a lot of ideology around health care. There's this idea that, that the Democrats have supported that health care is a product, that it needs to be purchased on the free market, that some people get better health care and deserve better health care than others, depending on what their financial means are. But in reality, and that's an ideology, that's a neoliberal ideology, that the market can do a better job than the government ensuring the public has what it's needed. And, and, and our ideology is that health care is a human right. And so part of this gathering in Chicago was about helping people to understand and hone their political analysis and understanding that we're fighting for an ideology, we're bringing a movement into politics, and that we believe different things than some of the people in our party. And so whereas a lot of these gatherings have been about unity and healing, this gathering was really about political education, understanding the terms of the fight. And so we're fighting for Medicare for all, not just maintaining the broken Obamacare system. We're fighting to break up the banks and not give the keys to the economy back to Wall Street, and we're also fighting to end mass incarceration, and we're not along with the kind of smart on crime, tough on crime approach that a lot of Democrats feel like that they need to be proponents of in order not to be seen soft when they go up against Republicans. So we really believe that we need to change some things. We don't feel like the system needs a few more winners and a few less losers. We think the system needs to be changed, and that's what this meeting was about organizing ourselves to do. I want to just uh, jump back for a second, though, because you pretty much put everything there in that statement, Becky. But you talked about the Georgia race, and my home state, Montana, just had a race, and Rob Quist, who's a, a Sanders supporter, grassroots, he got money from the same kind of people who gave money to Sanders. But the Democratic Party didn't see fit to doing anything to help him. They crunched the numbers. They thought the Republican would win, and so they wrote him off. But even more than that, they showed that they don't really want Sanders-type people coming into Congress. And you said that their strategy is to kind of wait it out and just, you know, see what happens. And I want to know what you think about, like, how viable that is, or is it just simply a suicide march and what the discussion may have been or what you think about what should be done to reverse that kind of thinking or challenge it and get rid of it? Well, that's a really smart question. And I think there's two things going on. First of all, in the national electoral strategy of the Democratic Party, it seems to be that they want to get moderate Democrats pro-corporate Democrats to run in red-ish areas and appeal to Republicans in exurban areas that they think 
will be turned off to Trump. And this was essentially a lot of what they also thought that they were going to do in the 2016 election. So they have this idea that they can run as not Trump versus Trump or run on a platform of Trump as a horrible person and that we ought to be able to go to the right and get some of these Republicans and some of these independents who have been voting Republican. But in reality, you know, we really actually need to move to the left and deal with the the millions of voters who the Democrats either wrote off or took for granted. And, you know, the strategy of, first of all, the strategy of we're not Trump, we already lost a national referendum on that, that was the 2016 presidential election. But the other thing is, is that it's not just Trump. I mean, Trump is a horrible example of a human being who shouldn't be in the highest office in the country. But if we knock out Trump, where does it leave us? It leaves us with Pence, it leaves us with the Republicans. Trump isn't pushing the Trump agenda Trump is pushing through the Republican agenda. And so anything which is about simply letting Trump fall but not providing an alternative that will bring all these millions of voters who are sitting out or worse who rejected the Democrats and voted for Trump because Democrats aren't proposing programs that will solve their problems, we could be headed for another you know, electoral letdown um, if that's the attitude. And, and that certainly wasn't the attitude of the people that were gathered. They understand that there's a ton of work that we have to do that um, Democrats let progressives down by failing to organize at scale the kind of face-to-face conversations between volunteers and voters that could have helped identify and persuade, you know, the voters that we needed to defeat Trump and the Republicans in 2016 and that we will need in 2018 and 2020. And so this was just really a group of people that were not just ready to get to work, they are already at work. And so as someone who's very concerned about the direction of our country, it felt very, very good to be in a sea of people that are not waiting for somebody else to propose a solution, but are getting to work where they live right now to try and change the direction of this country. This is really heartening to hear. And I know, Becky, in your book, you and Zach talk about big organizing, and now you're actually in charge of a big organizing project. And what you described about, you know, what the Democrats think they can do just sort of encapsulates the idea of very small organizing or no organizing and just being the the fallback party, and that that doesn't work and they've doubled down on that. So maybe you could talk now a little bit about not just the energy enthusiasm that you encountered in Chicago, but the kinds of initiatives people are engaged in. Do they, for example, want to continue this fight in the Democratic Party and try to take over the leadership? Or do they want to see an inside-outside game? And what is it that you're putting forward, and especially even in your knock-on-every-door campaign? I think people are kind of trying a lot of things right now. I mean, I must have talked to dozens of people that told me that they had been recently elected as delegates to their state or county party. And so I think for sure at the local level that people are seeing ways to try and work through that level of the party and take it over and make change. So that's one of the things that we're seeing out there. I think people understand that while while there's a lot of dissatisfaction with the Democratic Party, a lot of people feel like the Democratic Party doesn't stand for them. And one of the amazing things, too, was that 54% of the people that attended the People's Summit were people of color. So this was not how people often characterized the Bernie movement as being white bros. It was an amazing collection of people. And so I think where it really is at is it's really going to be primaries, right? We do have a two-party system, and um, but we do have primaries. And so we need to put our candidates up in the primary, and we need to fight for candidates that will actually run on a platform that represent our ideas. And there have been some examples, you know, recently about how this can really work. Lamonda, mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, ran on a radical direct participation, you know, um, platform um, with people's councils backing up his campaign. And, and I was recently involved in helping a civil rights hero named uh, Larry Krasner win the Democratic primary.
primary for district attorney in Philadelphia. And uh, Larry ran on a campaign, Larry Krasner ran on a, on a platform, which was he'll never charge the death penalty ever, and that he wants to end mass incarceration by simply stopping charging low-level drug crimes and stopping asking you know, for cash bail for people who are in for nonviolent offenses. It's a and, really impressive and, and campaign. And Krasner won by a landslide, and his candidacy was one that was, um, was treated like a joke when he got started. So I think what we're seeing is, is that when we enter primaries with candidates that run on a platform that's as radical as the problems that we face, that we're seeing people come out of the woodwork in order to volunteer for these candidates, and we're seeing them be put over the top. And so I think the story of some of the federal elections where the party is at war with itself over what kind of candidates it wants to support, if you go down a level to some of the local elections where we're seeing people be elected to state legislatures and city councils and district attorneys' positions, we're seeing a lot of progress. And that's what a lot of the people at the People Summit are working on, is recruiting and helping to run at this local level and helping, and maybe it's not to take back the party, maybe the party was never theirs, but at least to take over the party where they live. This is really exciting, uh, Becky Vaughn. And I know that when you were organizing for Bernie, you, you had that great slogan, you're not going to get a revolution unless you ask for one. And similarly, you're not going to get Medicare for all unless you ask for it. And that seemed to be a lesson that most people are attracted to. They listen to that because they're not interested say, in a campaign to raise the minimum wage 25 cents. But they like if it's going to go up enough to make a difference in people's lives. And it sounds to me like you're saying that people in Chicago were on the same page about that. But there is, as you've mentioned, the Democratic Party and its constituents are tied to this neoliberal and finance strategy, and they're going to fight. So how do you see that working out? What are the steps, apart from just local organizing? Because I, I was very impressed with this uh, Larry Krasner's campaign in Philadelphia. But how do you see that working its way out to affect the next election? Well, this gets back to what you brought up before, which is one of the efforts that I'm involved in, which is called Knock Every Door. And what Knock Every Door is, is it's it's actually allowing you know people to go out and start talking to the neighbors about issues that matter. At its heart, it's a volunteer-led, distributed platform for canvassing. But what it's really about is actually starting the work that the Democratic Party just failed to do at scale in 2016, which is have conversations with voters and find out what's going on in their lives and what's important to them, and then surface that information to party leaders and then let that influence the agenda. So, for example, if you are going door-to-door and having a, you know, the kinds of conversations that elicit verbatim responses from the voters, you'll actually find out that whether you're talking to someone who voted for the same candidate that you did, um, that they have very relatable anxieties about the direction of the country, and that we really actually can talk to each other if someone actually cares to start a real conversation, and that there's willingness on both ends of that conversation in most cases to actually listen to each other and have a conversation, even if we don't agree. And so I think this idea of, and this goes back to local organizing, but it's not just that, but this idea that we actually need to start talking to more people than just the few people that get targeted by these typical campaigns, where a consultant tells you what's the smallest number of people that you can talk to and still win the election. What we have to do is we have to broaden that and start talking to everybody and sort of let in the concerns or reflect back the concerns that the people have. If we'd done this in the 2016 election, then we would have known that talking about how amazing Obamacare was was falling flat with a lot of people. 
who were forced to buy insurance and they didn't have enough money to buy it, and so they bought insurance that had very high deductibles, which meant they just weren't even able to go to the doctor when they're when they're sick. And so when you have people who are natural constituency for the Democratic Party, you who are being forced to buy something and then they still can't go to the doctor and this is one of the accomplishments that you're touting, <laughs> we're in real trouble. So I think, you know, creating this feedback loop from the people and it's it's from people who are struggling financially, it's from communities of color, it's young people. There's all these people who are not being served by the system and they don't see government and politicians as people that can make a difference in their lives. And, and this is why they're either sitting out or they're casting protest votes. So I think part of how we turn things around is that we change the culture around democratic politics. And we're really going to have to fight the elitism within the party. The party has become a party of well-educated people, of high-income people, people who live in coastal cities, and those are the people that are often determining the agenda. And we have to ensure that the majority of the people in this country, many of whom are hurting uh, economically and suffering from mass incarceration and other effects of structural racism, that there has to be some kind of listening and mutual respect, and we have to actually bring our party back to being a party that doesn't just tolerate these people or doesn't just pursue them every four years, but ones that recognizes that, this, that these people are the heart and soul of the Democratic Party and that things are not going to change until until we start to listen to them and incorporate their concerns into our campaigns and, and then also just having them be the people that are actually serving in government. Well, the last time that we were able to, you know, make the kinds of changes that allowed for the New Deal, and we only have like a minute and a half left, was when there was a strong labor movement. And the labor movement itself has been decimated. And that's usually the force. Today, the labor movement, with, you know, some significant exceptions, you know, fell back to support Hillary and the the Democrats like they always do. But I'm wondering, given everything that you said, is you think you can do this kind of big organizing with not very strong labor movement and with the kind of forces that have normally been outside of the structures of power or even being listened to? Yeah, I mean, there is a huge but largely untapped capacity in the grassroots that is ready to be called into service. And those of us who, whether we work in the labor movement or whether we work in progressive organizing or whether we're you know, running campaigns for office, we need to be taking a look at what we're doing. And, and I believe it's many of us, our role should be to help support and manage those people who are ready and willing to make big commitments. But we need to change our organizing to be about making it possible for them to to get involved at scale because there's just not enough paid people in our movement to be able to make the change that we need to see. And so those of us who do make a living doing this, I think we really need to rethink whether we're running our own campaigns or whether we're supporting, spending all our time supporting and leveraging volunteers who have the talent and the commitment and the um, and the personal connections in their community and are closest to the solutions that we need. And so, so I think there's a lot of thinking that we need to do about how we turn things around, but it, but it starts with those of us who work in politics and who, who work in the movement to really rethink what's most effective and most needed in this moment. Last question. You know, none of us ever imagined that Trump would be our best organizer in the sense that his actual winning the president has created a tremendous movement and a tremendous fear that has gotten people out into the streets, but they don't act frightened. They really are organizing against each of the moves. And I just wondered, you know, how optimistic you are, given the level of opposition and protest and resistance that there is out there. You know, what, what gives me hope is that, you know, things have been bad for a lot of people for a long time, and I think 
what the election did was it really just helped wake up a bunch of people who had it pretty good to how bad it could be. But it's on a certain level, you know, for a lot of people, things haven't changed. And I think what's hopeful at this moment is that people are really coming together and recognizing that we need to change the system, not just to get Trump out, but to actually to deal with this, um, the Republican minority that's been destroying our democracy and shrinking the public sphere to the extent that we really aren't working together for the common good as a country anymore. It's really a system that's so corrupted by corporations and the rich that our politics and our government, they're not driven by the people. So I think this moment is a a wonderful opportunity for us to look at our consultant-driven politics and our money-driven politics and be really clear, everybody, about the failure of that, not just those at the bottom, but everybody can be clear on the failure of that and figure out how, in this moment, where so many people want to get involved, how can we return to a people-powered politics? And I think it's possible if enough of us stay involved, and the people that I know that are getting involved that haven't been involved before, they're in it to win it. They're not going anywhere, and so that gives me hope. Thank you so much for taking the time, Becky Bond. She's now on the Knocking on Every Door campaign, president of the Big Organizing Project, former senior advisor of the Bernie Sanders campaign, and political director at Credo before that, and the author of the Organizing Bible for our age, Rules for Revolutionaries, How Big Organizing Can Change Everything. Becky Bond, thanks so much for taking the time today. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Susie Wiseman. This is Jacobin Radio. Thanks to producer and director Alan Minsky and to Jacobin Radio's Micah Utrecht. Bhaskar Sunkara is the founder and editor of Jacobin Magazine. And special thanks to Robert Brenner. And thanks to you for listening. I'm Susie Wiseman.